how a Christian uh, can act or should act even in in Indonesia in a country that is very diverse that you don't have to deny your Christianity you don't have to deny your faith you don't have to feel ashamed about that but at the same time you also don't have to feel like limited that your service is only for the Christians but you act you are actually called to serve all the people My name is Angel Torero I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as global ambassador and ministry director for Langham. Today, Chris talks with Mateus Ho of Indonesia, land of 17,000 islands that are home to 1,300 ethnicities, more than 600 languages, and the largest population of Muslims in the world. Mateus is co-founder of the Lemina Institute, which helps Indonesia's Christians engage productively and biblically in social, political, and economic issues. He also helped launch Langham's pastor training movement in his country, a movement which has an incredible impact on the local church. I hope you enjoy this great conversation that will introduce you to this wonderfully diverse nation. Welcome to On Mission. I'm Chris Wright. And today we're off to Southeast Asia and to the great country of Indonesia, where I'm delighted to introduce to you my friend Matthias Ho. Welcome to you, Matthias. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. Now, for Matthias, being on mission for God included for quite some time the business world, because after his undergraduate and graduate studies at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, U.S., he joined a, a multinational consulting firm and developed IT infrastructure in telecommunication and retail industries, not only in Indonesia, but also in, in nearby Singapore. And then he also served as a director for a manufacturing and export company as well. Since then, in more recent years, he's been the founder and director of the Limena Institute, which is committed to, to quote their mission statement, responsible citizenship in religious society. And we could certainly do more of, with more of that. But we'll come to Limena in, in a little while, Matthias. Let's, let's start just with yourself. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about yourself, um, your family, and perhaps how you came to faith and where you actually live. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, thanks again. 
I went to uh, school in Jakarta, Indonesia, and then went to study in the United States. Uh, so my background is that uh, my family were uh, Buddhist uh, uh, at that time, uh, but they sent all of us, the children, to the Christian schools because at mm. that time uh, the Christian schools were uh, uh, among the very high quality uh, schools. So <clears throat> they just sent us there. But I didn't really uh, um, came to know uh, Christ until I went to college, to university in the United State, States, uh, through the ministry of the Indonesian Christian Fellowship uh, in the in the campus in Madison, Wisconsin. So that's actually where I, I came to know Christ. Uh, I came to know the Lord. And then that's where I grew in my faith uh, through the Bible study and the fellowship uh, in the United States. So after I finished my bachelor and master degree, uh, I felt uh, that the Lord prepared me to actually go home uh, from everything uh, uh, that I learned in the US. So I, I just went home uh, at that time. Uh, so uh, that was in 1997, um, at the end of the 1997. And then from there, I basically uh, yeah, went to business. Um, and then in 2008 until now, uh, I came uh, to full-time uh, in the Lemena Institute. Mm. So yeah, that's where that's I came from. Yeah. That's quite a journey. That's great. And uh, I, I understand that uh, Matthias is the Indonesian form of what we would say as Matthew. So it's a, it's a good... Yes, correct. <laughs> uh, uh, biblical name. Um, obviously... Lots of people who are, are listening to a podcast like this will not have had the opportunity to visit Indonesia. I, I've been there a couple of times and uh, enjoyed it so much. So let's talk a bit about Indonesia. I mean, it's an amazing country. But it, it's there in what we call Southeast Asia. But it is, in fact, as I understand it, uh, the fourth most populated country in the world. It's it's the largest population of Muslims in the world. Uh, and it's got 17,000 islands <laughs> and yet when you look at it on the map, you realize that it stretches from west to east, from Sumatra to Papua, uh, about the same distance as from Los Angeles to New York. So, I mean, it's an incredibly spread out country there across that region. Tell us a little bit about perhaps its its history uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, where it's, what has happened to it and particularly uh, since the Second World War. Uh, yeah, Indonesia is uh, really a fascinating uh, place, uh, as you mentioned, because of the diversity. Uh, Indonesia, we have uh, around 270 million people and about 80-something, almost 90% uh, are Muslims. Uh, but we we do have a diversity of religion in Indonesia, and the diversity of religion in Indonesia uh, has a very long history. Uh, because uh, we went through a period, thousands of years of Hindu and Buddhist kingdoms before Islam came and then Christianity. Uh, but uh, all throughout the years, all of these different religions, we, could, uh, we can live uh, peacefully together, we can collaborate. And uh, that's also actually the, the key to our independence in 1945, on August 17, 1945, because of the unity of the people of Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia was under colonization for uh, three and a half centuries. And who, 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 was, who, who was the colonial power uh, before that time? What, what 
because oh. obviously, yeah, I mean, we we know all about sort of the British Empire and right. French French Africa and so on. But who who was who was the colonial power in Indonesia? Uh, yeah, the, the the British only had a very short period of time in Indonesia, actually. <laughs> uh, but for about three and a half centuries, it was Dutch. Uh, Dutch, colonial. wow, yeah, yeah. Dutch, yeah. yeah. It started with the trade uh, company. Uh, they opened um, the, the headquarter in the what is now Jakarta, called Batavia at the time, uh, until 1942 when the Japanese came and then uh, the Japanese colonized Indonesia for three and a half years. Um, and then we had the, the Second World War and then uh, the Hiroshima Nagasaki bombing. So there was a vacuum of power at the time and it was then that the Indonesian uh, declared our independence at a time. Um, but yeah, again, I mean, going back to the unity, that's why uh, our uh, national motto until today uh, is, um, it's in the old Sanskrit, Sanskrit words, Bineka Tunggal Ika, which means unity in diversity. Mm. So that really reflects the spirit of unity and the understanding that uh, the diversity in Indonesia has to be preserved. It has to be acknowledged, but uh, we need to find a unity in that diversity. That's that's an amazing ambition, really, for a nation which is so scattered and diverse. I mean, with all those islands, there must be multiple languages and cultures. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we have, I mean, it's difficult to, to measure, but uh, one of the official accounts says that we have about uh, around 1,300 ethnicities, uh, more than 600 languages, not dialect, but languages. So I think if for the people who are who understand about the Bible translation works, I think they they know that Indonesia is one of the places where they really have a lot of Bible translation works uh, because of the different languages. So yeah, we are very diverse. I mean, if I go, for example, to the eastern part of Indonesia and then you take a picture, uh, you, you may think that uh, I'm just uh, maybe a Chinese tourist going to Indonesia because the rest <laughs> of the people, they I mean, we look different. Uh, if they speak their own language, I don't understand. Uh, but we are in this, what is uh, the, uh, the, the scholar in the Cornell, uh, Ben Anderson, says the imagined community. I think mm -hmm. Indonesia is like the imagined community. We have this understanding in our mind that we are one as a nation. Mm -hmm. um, even though our skin color is different, our language may be different, but we do have a, uh, one language of unity, uh, Indonesian. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, Bahasa Indonesian is, is, is the common uh, unifying language across the country. Is that right? Yes, correct. Even though Bahasa actually means language. So oh. sometimes we can just use, uh, say, Indonesian, which yes. means Indonesian language or Bahasa Indonesia. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. So it's in a, a part of the world there in Southeast Asia. It, it sort of spans, it, it's at one end there in Sumatra. It's quite close to... Uh, to Indochina, to Cambodia, Vietnam, Malaysia. At the other end, it's it's just close to the Philippines, and then of course right down to Australia, just below. Um, how, how, where does Indonesia sit in the political realm of Southeast Asia? Because we know about the troubles, you know, the wars that have been there in Vietnam and Cambodia, the continuing problems in Myanmar, and the uh, increasing dominance of the whole region by China. How do you see the uh, Indonesia fitting into that whole part of the world politically? 
Uh, politically, actually, Indonesia, uh, I mean, especially you mentioned some of the situation in our neighboring countries, uh, Indonesia can be seen maybe like a, a miracle and hopefully an inspiration in terms of democracy. Uh, because uh, our population size are multiple times of some of these countries they are facing the trouble. But Indonesia in 1999, uh, actually, uh, after the fall of uh, the the regime of uh, Suharto, the President Suharto at that time. Um, before then, I mean, during his time before uh, the reform in 1999, Indonesia was actually uh, among the biggest authoritarian countries in the world. But because after the fall of the President Suharto at that time, and then we went through a major amendment of our constitution, uh, whom, by the way, uh, uh, the, the chairman of the amendment of the constitution at that time was actually, is actually uh, the chairman of our board at Lemina Institute, Ambassador Jacob Toby. So that's yes. how I'm quite familiar with that process. So it was through that amendment of constitution, Indonesia became a democracy. And it actually went through a very peaceful process. And imagine that uh, we have 200 million something uh, people. And then now, we have done uh, uh, four times of direct presidential elections and five times of parliamentary elections. And we are now the third biggest democracy in the world. I mean, after uh, India and United States. So, uh, I mean, of course we are concerned with our neighboring countries, but I think hopefully uh, our experience can, uh, can actually be shared with other countries to see how we can actually transition peacefully uh, for democracy. Uh, and of course, we are facing a lot of challenges. And I think that also, of course, uh, anything that happens in Indonesia will worry our neighboring countries um, because of our size as well. But yeah, yeah, I think that's how I see politically. That's very helpful. Thank you. Because obviously, uh, democracy is such a wonderful thing, but it also can be a very fragile thing, as, as we see. In yes some parts of the world, and I mean, even just the country to the north of you in the Philippines, which came out of tyranny into democracy and then has now got a, a very authoritarian leader uh, in Duterte. And so there are there are concerns there. I mean, it, in my experience of being in Indonesia, even though very few times, is just how kind and energetic um, and resilient people are. Um, I mean, obviously, I've only met a few, but it seems to me that there is a great spirit uh, in Indonesian people. Does that make you hopeful for the future of, of the country and, and, and the region? Yes, uh, hopeful. And I think at the same time, you also uh, point the finger on the, on the very important area of, of how Indonesia should deal with the future problem. I think we need to look at our experience, how we get our independence. It goes back again to the, uh, to the issue of unity, because I think the natural disaster and, and even corruption. And I mean, there are so many issues, of course, uh, facing Indonesia. But I believe that we can deal with that as long as we have the unity um, as one nation, uh, mm -hmm. as the people. And it is that one that I, I think that really uh, concerns me because uh, that's really the challenge, uh, I mean, facing Indonesia for, for the past few years. Uh, I mean, of course, we've seen that all over the world. I mean, political identities and increasingly in a religious society like Indonesia is the strengthening of the religious identity. 
I mean, people using religion as an identity instead of really to uh, to know God and how to shape our life and how to do good to other people. So uh, I think what we are seeing is that unfortunately, sometimes the fragmentation of the society based on religious identity. And that's really a big concern because um, uh, that's dividing. I mean, we, we talked about uh, the diversity of Indonesia earlier. I mean, you can imagine what happened in Indonesia if, if uh, the division gets so deep and then it can fracture the, uh, the nation. So, so it is uh, a concern. Yeah. 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 Well, obviously, unity is a, a tremendous reality, but very again can be very fragile. And you've already mentioned that one of the one of the things that could most threaten that would be the religious, uh, not just diversity, but division and strife. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit more then uh, about the religious landscape of Indonesia. You mentioned a bit earlier that it's, let's say, approximately eighty percent Muslim. So, w- what is the what is the status of the Christian church there? Uh, is, it, is it alive? Is it healthy? Is it growing? What is, and, and what does mission, I know that's not a very good word to use sometimes in such context, but you know what I mean by that, the, the outreach and the ministry of the church in such a context. How does that look? I think uh, overall the church in Indonesia is, uh, is healthy. Uh, is growing, uh, of course, uh, and especially if uh, if we compare, for, ex- if, for example, uh, the state of the church in Indonesia with other countries that share similar uh, social dimension, uh, like Indonesia, for example, compared to the church in Middle East or whatever, I, I would say that Indonesia, uh, the church in Indonesia is growing uh, good. Uh, of course, challenges are always there. In terms of mission, I think, we, of course, there are issues. Uh, I think you've seen probably in the news about the blasphemy law. Of course, it's mm-hmm. controversial. It's ongoing, the debate about that. Um, but I would say overall, we actually have quite uh, a freedom in Indonesia. Um, of course, we cannot take it that for granted. I mean, going back to the concern that I mentioned earlier about the increasing religious identity or conservatism in Indonesia, but I think it actually calls for more wisdom from the church of how we do our mission in Indonesia. Um, and I think we, we have to spend more time in growing our own indigenous approach uh, mm-hmm. to the mission and how to deal with the religious plurality in Indonesia and not just taking that from other countries that may have a different social outlook uh, from Indonesia. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the worst thing that can happen is when that religious division becomes violent. And we know that uh, back in uh, 2018, there were those horrific bombings of some churches in in Surabaya, uh, which was very much worrying to us to say, well, is that the way it's going to go? But how did did the Christian community respond to, to those events back then? That's not so long ago, just in May 2018, I think it was. Yeah, there was uh, actually quite, uh, I mean, quite good in terms of the response. And and I, w- and I have to say that both from the Christian sides and the Muslim sides, because oh, I, mm-hmm. I remember at the time there was actually uh, uh, an effort even from the Muslim community to approach the, the, the Christian community and mm-hmm. then make it public to show that uh, that's why we have a video of how some of the the Muslim students or Muslim youth actually is uh, doing a, like a choir or singing a song inside a church, you know. Um, so 
they want to show that what happened with the bombing of the church in Surabaya is actually not the is not Islam. is is not from uh, Muslim. It is the terrorists. Uh, so, yeah. so I think this is the kind of effort that we need to do together to actually uh, make sure that the the the, uh, the crime is called for what it is. It is a crime. It is not. It's not the religious teaching of of Islam or any other uh, religion um, that that condoning a terrorist act like that. So I think uh, the the church overall, I would say that uh, uh, maybe becoming more mature as well in responding such uh, uh, incidents. And I hope they they keep uh, growing in that because uh, the only uh, thing that that really the the terrorist wants is that doing that and then try to create a conflict between Muslim and Christians. I mean, we had that bad experience in Sulawesi and, and Maluku in Ambon in, in 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. And we had, that was really a bad experience that we need to keep in mind. I mean, we need to avoid that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and I think uh, we can learn from that too because I, I like what you said that you need to call a crime a crime. Uh, yeah. and, and that when a thing like that is done, it's not Islam. Well, similarly, when when Christians take things into their hands to be violent, it's not Christianity. It's it's yes. a, it, it, it's a crime. It's, it, it needs to be called for what it is, uh, whoever does it. Um, right. I think that that brings us fairly naturally to the Laimena Institute, um, and I, if I can just share a little bit personally about that before you tell us more about what it is, uh, you and I first met, uh, if you remember, back in September 2011 when yes. uh, I, I was in Jakarta and speaking at a student event there uh, and then went on to do some uh, training for Langham preaching up in Bogor. And we'll come to that in a moment as well. Um, but you met me at that time and, and, and we were there together briefly. And I remember on that weekend that the Laimena Institute that you were telling me all about was holding a conference for 200 high school teachers from 33 provinces around the country. And the conference was to teach them about citizenship and the the laws uh, concerning religion and the constitutional rights and responsibilities of schools and school teachers and so on. In other words, it seemed to be trying to inculcate from a Christian point of view uh, an awareness of what citizenship means uh, and, and what the laws mean and so on, so that these teachers could inculcate that in their pupils. This seemed to me a tremendously worthwhile thing to be doing, and, and I wonder if Laimen is still doing that and what else it is doing, and perhaps you could tell us how it all began. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, well, Laimena Institute began um, actually at the initiative of the National Church Leaders in Indonesia, um, we were founded in 2005, uh, even though the precursor of that was actually established in 1984. Uh, that, uh, that was when the, it was originally named as uh, uh, after the Dr. Johannes Lemena, uh, which is where we get our name, the Lemena Institute. Um, so Dr. Johannes Lemena, uh, a Christian, was actually um, uh, the vice prime minister of the first uh, president uh, of Indonesia, uh, President Sukarno at the time. Uh, so he was, uh, he was very active as a Christian uh, since uh, as a student. Um, so he was a student uh, leader and then became a vice prime minister, but still very active in the church. 
he was respected by people from different religions, including the Muslims in the cabinet. So he became like an inspiration of uh, many Christians, including us uh, uh, in the Lemina Institute of how a Christian uh, can act or should act even in, in Indonesia, in a country that is very diverse, that you don't have to deny your Christianity, you don't have to deny your faith, uh, you don't have to feel ashamed about that. But at the same time, you also uh, don't have to feel like limited that your service is only for the Christians, but you act, you are actually called to serve all the people. And that's what uh, Johannes Lemina did uh, sincerely. So that's really became an inspiration for Lemina Institute to uh, really how to build the participation of Christians in the nation building of Indonesia. That's why we, we did our, uh, we began our citizenship uh, education program, including the one that you saw. Uh, and we did a number of partnerships, for example, with uh, uh, the Indonesian Constitutional Court. And I believe the, the one that you, you saw was actually one of the program we did with the Constitutional Court. Uh, well, unfortunately, because of the COVID, I mean, we, we cannot do that at, yeah, at the sure. time. Yeah. Um, uh, but one of the things that actually, so uh, for many years, we actually have done uh, a number of trainings, uh, working together, especially with the churches in different regions in Indonesia, uh, and giving a training on constitution, on citizenship, and on Pancasila, the, the state philosophy of Indonesia. Let me just pause you there for one second. Yeah. Um for two quick things. One is, I think I ought to spell the word Lemina for people who might be listening and just trying to work it out. It's spelled L-E-I-M-E-N-A, Lemina. Uh, and that was the man's name that you referred to. And then you've just used that word Pancasila uh, as the oh, yeah. as this, the national philosophy. You, you ought to explain that as well. Oh, okay. What, what, yeah. what is Pancasila? Right. You know, I, I thought I was speaking to an Indonesian because you've been to Indonesia. <laughs> Not <laughs> so quite. Pancasila, <laughs> so Pancasila is, uh, is an, again, from the Sanskrit word. Uh, Pancha means five and Sila uh, means uh, the, the principle. So it means the five principles. Uh, so, uh, so Indonesia uh, has the state philosophy uh, of the five principles, the Pancasila, where the first principle is actually literally translated into one lordship, uh, even though sometimes it's uh, it's understood as the belief in one and only God. Um, and then, uh, and then secondly, it's about the humanity. Third is about the unity uh, of Indonesia. Uh, fourth is basically about democracy. And fifth is the social justice. So these are the five principles of Indonesia, and this really what binds us together as a diverse nation. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are the kind of things that we did uh, in, in our training. Uh, the idea is so that uh, the pastors, the church leaders um, uh, understand that uh, to engage in a society, uh, especially in Indonesia, uh, it's important to understand the Bible. But also you have to understand your constitution and other things so that you can relate uh, with the world. Um, and, and I think this is what uh, John Stott says about, about the double listening. Um, so 
that's really uh, one thing that we do. And then over the time, uh, it progressed to uh, the understanding or realization after doing a lot of discussion with the church leaders that one of the challenges that they are facing, or maybe the Christians in general in Indonesia, is the relationship with other faith uh, communities, especially the Muslims, mm. because the Muslims are the majority in Indonesia. Uh, so we have begun uh, working uh, a lot on the interfaith relationship, uh, interfaith dialogue, and not just dialogue, but also multi-faith collaboration, because we believe that we have to go beyond the dialogue. We have to go into the collaboration of multi-faith, where all of us can feel comfortable in our own faith, but we can work together. We can build relationship. Um, so, so. Uh, so recently, this has, this has led us to actually, interestingly, to a dialogue between the Abrahamic religions, between mm-hmm. the Muslim, Christians, uh, and the Jews, actually. So, yeah, that, that's how we, we progress over time. Uh, yeah. So I've noticed that, actually, in the recent, because I, I get the Lemen Institute newsletter, and I, I've noticed this uh, emphasis lately on uh, on interfaith dialogue and peace-building and on the one hand, um, in a country like Indonesia with such potential for fracture and division, uh, it seems to me that the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers, uh, must yes. almost be a, a motto. And yet, at the same time, I'm sure you're aware that uh, there are some Christians who, whenever they would hear the phrase interfaith or multi-faith, uh, dialogue or cooperation, they, they get a bit suspicious and they say, you know, aren't you compromising your Christian witness and so on if you're working together with uh, Muslims or Buddhists or whatever it might be? How, how do you respond to that potential suspicion? And, and do you find that there is that suspicion among any of the Christians there in Indonesia? And how do you respond to it? Um, yes, of course, we face that <laughs> uh, a lot. Uh, and And thank you for for quoting the uh, uh, Jesus sayings uh, in the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for mm-hmm. they will be called children of God, because that's actually one of the things that inspires me, inspire all of us at Lemina Institute. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's really one of the way that actually uh, how I explain to the criticism or, or to the suspicion. Because, okay, I mean, let, let's start from the end. Uh, we want to be a witness, right? We want to be a witness to the Lord, uh, to our Father in heaven. So we want people to know when they see us that uh, we are children of God. So that what? So that people can know our Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus actually gives a very good formula, right? Yeah. I mean, blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called the uh, children of God. Mm-hmm. So if we become a peacemaker, then, if God willing, <laughs> yeah. then we will be called children of God. By whom? Well, by, by others as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if they recognize us as the children of God, again, if God willing, then people will ask, who is your father? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, for me, that really, and again, sometimes I explain it using the first Peter, because the, the first episode uh, of Peter uh, is addressed to uh, Christians who are, they were minority and apparently also under persecution. Uh, but really the formula that Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter gave there is keep doing good things, doing good to others, even to those who oppress you. Mm-hmm. And then the, the first Peter 3.15, um, 
always be prepared to give uh, um, a defense to your faith, your explanation of your faith. I think, I mean, for me, in my understanding, unfortunately, sometimes this verse is being used as a basis for debate. But actually, this is actually just be prepared, keep doing good. And then one day, if the Lord is willing, someone will ask you why you keep doing good, for example. right? And <laughs> yeah. then you have to be prepared to uh, to defend or explain your faith. So I mm-hmm. think um, uh, if we are worried about dealing with other uh, people of different faith, uh, it confused me because, I mean, now, of course, uh, uh, previously, I, I have to say that also I grew up in that in that environment, right? But mm-hmm. now I can say that, hey, actually there's an inconsistency because in many of our professional work, we actually work with other people who are not, who don't share the same faith with us. And we are not worried about that. I mean, if you work, for example, in Google, I mean, do you ask about, hey, uh, is my manager a Christian? Of course not, right? <laughs> yeah. So there is no worry there but then when we put it as an interfaith dialogue multi-faith mm-hmm. collaboration and then it all of a sudden it becomes um, an issue and for me sometimes it's also a sign of insecurity because if we are if we feel secure and confident about our faith and if we like to keep chanting that uh, the spirit in us is bigger than the world i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. then we don't have to be afraid right yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, it is it is saying the in both in Jesus' words and in Peter's words, it is the, the good works and the witness go together. That's it seems yes. very seems absolutely vitally important. So it, it sounds to me like the Limena Institute is, in a sense, seeking to bring the the truth of the biblical gospel and the principles that God gives us in the Bible to bear on the world as a whole, not just within the church, uh, and seeking to use those values in order to help to shape the nation, to do the task of nation building and uh, preserving the unity of the nation and so on. Um, that seems to me to be a very important way of being salt and light uh, in society, again, to, to quote Jesus, because it's a very difficult balance to get, it seems, I mean, if I think of our own Western context, and and this is where we love to hear um, someone like yourself speak into our context, it seems that Christians seem in our world to be going in two opposite directions. There are those who simply withdraw their faith from the world and, as it were, don't seek to have any influence whatsoever. It's just a kind of ascetic uh, principle of being a Christian. You keep it to yourself. It doesn't enter into the public square. And I would say that's partly the kind of Christianity we see often in Europe and certainly here in the United Kingdom. Um, And the opposite extreme to that is where Christians say, well, the only way we can be involved is to sort of get power, (laughs) to to get our man in power, to be in power, and then to sort of run the show. Um, And that lust for for power then leads to, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, results which are not really very healthy at all. Uh, you end up with a kind of Christian nationalism that almost is the mirror opposite right. of Islamic nationalism. So yeah. how do you feel that your vision and the work of Institute Lamena is trying to avoid either of those two polarities uh, in order to be salt and light in a, in a Christ-like, godly, biblical way in society as part of the mission of the church there? So let's just finish off by asking what's next for you. Where, where is your vision and your heart for ministry taking you uh, 
at the moment? What do you see as your big vision and, and how can we pray for you? Uh, well, right now I'm, I'm usually <clears throat> leading, uh, uh, I'm usually just following what the Lord is uh, leading me. Uh, and right now uh, what we are working on uh, is the, the interfaith dialogue and the multi-faith collaboration that I mentioned uh, to you. Um, so this is really what we uh, will focus on for uh, at least this year and in the coming years. Uh, and particularly right now, we are working on this Abrahamic Faith Initiative uh, because speaking about the Abrahamic Faith Initiative, uh, we are talking about Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, the three largest monotheistic uh, religion in the world. I mean, the, the followers are more than half the global population. In Indonesia itself, Christians and Muslims combined, we are about 97% of the population. So in terms in the in the size only, I mean, uh, that's really significant. Uh, and if we understand a lot of the, the issue, uh, that the problem sometimes uh, actually stems from the conflict uh, between these three monotheistic religion, mm. uh, including the doctrine of holy wars and, and others, you know, um, so the idea is that, hey, at least, I mean, uh, uh, we are not trying to be idealistic like, uh, okay, getting like uh, everything in peace or something like that. Of course, that's the, the, uh, the goal, that's the objective. But what we want to do is simply uh, building communication, uh, mutual understanding and respect. Uh, so that's what we are uh, doing right now because we believe if between the three these three monotheistic religions, these three Abrahamic religions, if they can talk together to one another, build mutual understanding and respect, it will also have a big impact to, to the relations with others as well. I mean, of course, we're not trying to uh, uh, marginalize the others, but this is just a, a discourse that we are working on right now. Um, and uh, and so far, the, uh, the response is uh, very positive in Indonesia. Um, because it uh, it starts to bring down some of the prejudice because sometimes people without the direct communication, especially because we have a very tiny Jewish community in Indonesia, almost non-existent. Uh, so people just understand about Jews or sometimes maybe Christians or Christians understanding about the Muslims only from the media. Yeah. And, and the media simply uh, featuring all the bad news sometimes, right? Because yeah. bad news is good news. So we have a very... Uh, uh incorrect perception uh, of the others uh so this is really uh one way uh, of how we try to uh follow jesus teaching of blessed are the peacemaker mm -hmm. what they will be called children of god so uh so please pray for uh for how uh, this work can proceed uh, we really need the wisdom from the lord um because we um i mean the uh because we are we are interacting with different people and you know i mean the discussion like this sometimes people can get a misperception misunderstanding so uh but really the idea is we just want to be a peacemaker like mm. what jesus says and, yeah. and may the lord help us to be uh, true and sincere and faithful to that calling mm. um and we leave the rest to the lord thank you I've been talking to Matthias Ho from Indonesia, and we will certainly pray for that, Matthias, that you personally and uh, those you work with will indeed be peacemakers 
and be seen to be children of God in that community. So thank you and God bless you. Thank you, Chris. That's it for today's episode. I love that Matthias refers to Indonesia as something of a miracle. What a blessing to be able to learn about and learn from the unique strengths and struggles of other cultures. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. God bless.